We're going to turn to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10 and verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. And having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Now, obviously, I was disappointed that as I said we're going to read from Hebrews, there was no whoop. No amazement, as when Arnold opened Romans, there seemed to be lots of excitement about that, but less so about Hebrews today, but I won't take that personally. Um, We're going to focus on verses 24 and 25, which are, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. But all all the text that I've read will cover, but that's what we're going to focus on. Now, some things are more important to do at certain times. So it's always important to put fuel into your car, but it's more important to put fuel into your car when you have no fuel in your car so that your car can work. It's a simple piece of logic. I hope you follow that. Also, it's always important to brush your teeth and maintain some dental hygiene. But it's particularly important if you're going on a date. Because you want to make sure that your breath smells nice and you haven't got bits of food in your teeth. So there are some things, you know, things are important to do, but it's more important to do at certain times. It is always important that we encourage one another. But it's particularly important as the day approaches. As it says in verse 25, all the more as you see the day approaching. That phrase probably refers to the return of Christ to his second coming when he comes back. I just want to skip into to Matthew twenty-four nineteen to 21. That just tells us a little bit of what it would be like when the, the second coming is about to happen. It gives us some indications of what might take place. So it's Matthew 24. From verse 19. It says, How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. Doesn't sound very nice, does it? We may not be facing the extent of the troubles described there, 
We know what we're facing, how bad it is there, but there are hardships that we face on a daily basis. We will encounter suffering at different times in our lives. And at the moment, with the current climate, with the, the credit crunch happening, it seems an appropriate point to reflect on the idea and the need for encouragement in the church. It seems an appropriate time to think about the importance of encouragement and doing it all the more as the day approaches or as hardship approaches or as suffering approaches. So that's what we're going to do today. And we're going to do that in a... Well, let me try and give you an idea of how we're going to do that. We're going to look broadly at the passage that I read out at the start in Hebrews. We're going to look at um, that sort of context and what it provides in terms of painting the landscape for us of where encouragement fits in. Then we'll get into the real detail. We'll look at the word encouragement in the New Testament and what it means and how it's used. And then we'll finish off by looking at um, hints and tips that this passage has for encouraging one another. Okay. So let's, let's start by looking at the, the broader passage. When you, when you look at a painting, usually there's something that is the subject, something that's the main part of it. To, but to fully understand what the painting's about, you have to look at the broader landscape in, with, with which it's in. That's the same with encouragement. I don't want us just to pick out this idea of encouragement without seeing it in the context of the Bible and without seeing it in the context of Hebrews which is a letter to a church. So the writer has particularly placed it in a certain way so that we can get hold of more of what encouragement is really about. So, he starts in verse 19 by saying, Therefore, brothers, since... And he states a couple of truths, and following those, he says, Then let us do this. Let us do that. Let us do this. And just for clarity, I'm saying let us there, not let us which is a vegetable and not helpful, it's not encouraging at all. But let us, there's a series of letters, there's a series of instructions for us to follow. So the logic is, because this truth exists, we should do this. And so, it's like, examples of that sort of logic would be, since the turkey was burnt, let us cut off the burnt bits and eat the rest underneath. Simple logic. Because this is true, we should do this. Or alternatively, because it's colder outside today, let us put on more clothes and wear a coat. It's a simple logic. Or alternatively, because my eyebrows keep on growing, let us trim them. That's not actually an invitation for you guys to be involved in the trimming of my eyebrows. But the truth is, they're growing and they need sorting out. There is an action that follows the truth. In this passage here, we have, action, we have truths... And the actions follow that. Encouragement and spurring one another on is a consequence of the cross as much as Christmas leads to feasting and cold weather leads to putting on more clothes. How is that? Let's look at this in more detail. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with, sincere, with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope profess, for he who is promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, but let us encourage one another. 
The truth is, the truths are, that we can enter the most holy place. As Christians, as those who know God, we can walk into the presence of God because of the blood of Jesus. He has paid the price and he has removed all the barriers that previously prevented us from going into his presence. The way is open. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, since we have someone who represents us before God, who is Jesus, those are the truths that the Hebrews, the writer to the Hebrews is talking about. And what follows on is, an, is some, some action. He urges us, there's some instructions. And the first one is, let us draw near to God. Why should we draw near to God? Because the blood of Jesus allows us. That's the truth. Then he says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Why? Because Jesus has given us hope and allowed us to draw near to God. And he says, let us spur one another on to love and good deeds. Why should we do that? Because we need to help each other to hold on unswervingly to the hope that we profess. You see that with the development that's going on here. He says, let us not give up meeting together. Meeting together. Why is that? Because we need to spur one another on. And we can only do that if we're meeting together. There is a progressive logic here where it goes from truths about relationship with Jesus... It goes from truths about entering into the presence of God and moves through into instructions to draw near to him. It moves through into holding and swerving into the hope. It moves through into spurring one another on and into encouraging one another and meeting together. If we are convinced that Jesus has paid the price for our sin and drawn us near to God, then we should be convinced that we should be encouraging one another. That's the logic used here. That's the process the writer of the Hebrews goes through. If we know Jesus, we should encourage one another. So therefore this morning, this message is applicable to those who know Jesus. But it also is applicable to every age group. If you know Jesus, this is for you this morning. If you know Jesus, then I can give you some help in encouraging your friends, in encouraging your family. So even if you are the smallest person here, I encourage you to listen and see what God has got for you to help you be an encouragement to the rest of the body here, to the rest of the people here. Okay. The text that follows this, from verse 26, I just want to read that again. It says, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth... No sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. How encouraging is that? Now, I would love to go into this passage in detail and explain exactly what it's all about, but I don't want to take that opportunity, nay, that privilege away from the elders. So at some point in time, I'm sure they'll bring to full light exactly what that passage means. But for today, fortunately, all that we need to get hold of is the thrust of this passage. And the thrust of this verse is fortunately quite simple, which is don't sin. Don't carry on sinning. Stop it. And that, that is it's intrinsically linked to what encouragement is all about. So we've gone from the truth about Jesus and being in relationship to him to encouraging one another and he goes straight into, but don't sin. Is it unrelated? Is there a paragraph break and it's starting a new subject? No, it's related. 
it's related. The point is, encouragement is primarily about helping one another avoid sin. It's about helping one another stay away from the things of things that offend God. And by implication, therefore, it is about encouraging one another into the things that God has got for us, into the will of God. That's really what it's all about. So this is the big picture, broad landscape, is that it starts at the cross. It comes to us to help us encourage one another. And it's fundamentally about helping each other avoid sin and pursue the will, the will of God. That's, what, that's the, the framework, and that is the landscape. If, I don't know, has anyone, anyone done any rally driving here? I'm not surprised, I thought there might be some people. When you, when you rally drive, there's two, two people involved. There's one person who's driving, and there's the other person who's navigating. And this seems to me to be a, a, a helpful picture of what encouragement is about in the broad brush sense. Now, a navigator's role is to point out where there are turns, to make sure the car's going in the right direction, and to point out when there are dips or problems or issues. That, for me, appears to be like our role as people who encourage, that we need to help others see where the sharp bends are, to make sure they're going in the right direction, embracing God's will, and to make sure we say, well, there's a pitfall there, don't fall into it. Don't fall into that. That seems to be and a helpful analogy, apart from if you did it continually, I think it would get slightly annoying. The point is, is occasional encouragement, rather than sitting alongside one person and telling them what to do. That's called stalking, and that's wrong. Okay, but there's some helpful tints there, hopefully, about guiding one another, avoiding the pitfalls, avoiding sin and pursuing God's will. So that's broad brush strokes. Let's get into some detail. Let's get the finer brush out. The word encourage in verse 25 is a very interesting word, particularly if you start looking across the New Testament, because that a one Greek word is translated in so different way, many different ways. And we look at the word encourage, and we can think it means one certain thing. And I have to confess, I came to this passage with preconceptions about what this word meant. But I had to change that when I looked into it and, and assess what it was really about. So let's just do that together. Let's, let's look at a few places in the New Testament where this word is used and see how it's translated. You ready, Pete? Um, 1 Timothy 5.1 is the first reference. 1 Timothy 5.1. It says, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if, you, he, as if he were your father. So the word encourage in this passage is translated exhort in 1 Timothy. In Matthew 5.4, this is a famous verse here, it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The word comforted is the same as the word encouraged in Hebrews. In Mark 1.40, that's Mark 1.40, it says, A man with a skin disease came to Jesus. He fell to his knees and begged Jesus, You can heal me if you will. So now the word's translated begged as well. And again, this is a complex word we're looking at here. It's not easy to get hold of what the Hebrew writer is meaning. And finally, in Hebrews 13.22, in one sentence it's used twice and translated in different ways. So it says, Brothers, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation. So it's the same, the same root for urge as it is for exhortation. 
So we have one Greek word translated as exhort, comfort, beg, and urge. So what does it mean? Well, the literal meaning is a bit more generic than those bits we've seen there. It's actually about calling someone to your side or going to the side of someone else, drawing near to someone else. And the purpose of that drawing near can be exhort in the words to urge or advise or caution earnestly, or it can be to comfort. The word means both things. But what the word implies, and this is what I want us to get hold of, is that there is movement or a change as a result of that interaction. There is movement or change as a result of that interaction. So it's something about coming, coming alongside someone, but something changing, something moving. It is an action word. So when the writer to, Hebrew, to the Hebrews asks us to encourage one another, we're not actually being asked to praise one another. We're not actually being asked to feed back to one another. Though both of those things are entirely valid and very, very helpful, so let's not stop doing those things. But that's not exactly what the Hebrew writer is talking about when he's talking about encouragement. We're being asked to push one another on. We're being asked to make things positively uncomfortable. We're being asked to draw alongside one another with the purpose of progressive movement. So, therefore, though, this is, this is, this is a bit strange, though it is, can be translated comfort, it won't actually feel that comfortable. So it's, it can be translated comfort, but it won't be comfortable. Because so, in the Hebrews, Hebrews 13.22, the last reference we looked at, it says, brothers, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation. We wouldn't be asked to bear with something if it was easy to handle. The implication is that it's, it's, it might be hard work. It might be uncomfortable. It might take a little bit of tenacity to get hold of it and move forward. So though it's translated comfort, it won't necessarily be comfortable. Let me give you some examples of what encouragement, what I feel biblical encouragement is. On a Sunday morning, we often have people come to the front, and Debs came to the front this morning. And I would say, in the main, they encourage us. Because they, go, they don't go, you guys are great. You're really good. What they say is, God's got some encouragement. God wants us to move on. God wants to say this today. Today. I found this really helpful in the Bible, and I want you guys to get hold of it. In every interaction, there is implied movement. There is change. There is something that's a little bit uncomfortable. It's not necessarily that easy to bear with. Let me give you um, another example. Preaching. Preaching is encouragement as well. Is that people who stand here on Sunday morning serving us wonderfully well are actually... Encouraging us as well. Because they're, they're, they're getting us to move forward. They're getting us to go after God's will. They're helping us to avoid sin. They're encouraging us. Let me, let me try and give you an example of the range of things that we sometimes call encouragement, which aren't necessarily biblical encouragement. Now I'm going to use Joe as an example. I asked him beforehand if he was okay with this. But I'm going to try and encourage Joe. So pray for me. Um, Joe, 
I really appreciate the way you serve on Sunday mornings. I really appreciate that. That's not encouragement. Okay? That's, that's thanks. Which is fine. It's good. Thanking someone is good. People need to be thanked, need to be appreciated. I've just thanked Joe. It's not encouragement. Joe, I think you're really good at what you do. On the PA desk, I think you look pretty for a start, which is helpful, but you also, you're very good at what you do. Okay? That's praise. Still not into the realms of encouragement because there's no movement implied there. Okay? Joe, I think the way that you mix on a Sunday morning is excellent because this morning was an example of it. You get the right mix of the, the instruments so that we can hear all of them, but nothing that that overwhelms or drowns us out, so we get distracted, but it all helps us worship God. So that's, that's actually feedback, I reckon. There is a little bit of implied movement there, so we're getting into the realms of encouragement now, because you're saying, okay, that's good, I thought I should do that again. So there's some progress, there's some movement, there's some action as a result. Joe, I think you should be more confident in your opinion about what sounds good and what doesn't sound good. And I think you should... I think you should be confident to convey that to others who are on the PA desk in a graceful way. I think you should do that more of that so that we get a mix on a Sunday morning that resembles the way that you would want it. That's encouragement. That's encouragement because there is a stepping forward and a moving into something new that Joe otherwise might not have stepped into. He might have got there, I don't know, in a few months' time, but perhaps, hopefully, maybe, as a result of that encouragement this morning, he might step into what God's got for him a little bit earlier, a little bit sooner. Let me... (laughs) Sorry. I was just going to get upset for a moment. You don't mind, do you? Um, Graham Fiona... I, I feel it's appropriate to encourage these guys today, but uh, this is joy, okay? This is not anything else. Please don't be um, uncomfortable. Don't get upset as well. It's not going to help anyone. The last thing we want is a room full of people crying. Trust me, it happened on my wedding day. It wasn't pleasant, okay? We'll get there. You guys are amazing. You have faced more hardship than I can barely understand. And yet in the midst of it, at the hardest point, your faces are always heavenward. Your hearts are always for God. Every Sunday morning you come here and you give yourself in worship and I am blown away. By, your, by who you are and what God has called you to. But please, please do not get put off by the hardships of life. Please don't get tired and give up. Please go after God with all your hearts because he's got so much for you that he wants to bring you into. And I know this time is particularly hard. I know that. But don't forget the word of God to you. Don't forget it. He has spoken to you of the things he wants to do and he will bring you through to those things. Yes, it's hard. Of course it is. And yes, it's tough. Feel free to completely flop out occasionally. But let there be a tenacity in your walk with God that goes after the things he's called to you. Don't let life drag you down. 
go after him. Hopefully that was encouraging. Hopefully that helped you guys come into what God's got for you more. Hopefully for you guys that was an example of wet and pathetic encouragement. I don't know, I'm just trying my best. I'm giving myself to what I'm trying to help you guys encourage one another by giving you examples of what encouragement may or may not be like. It seems to me there is something about pushing people into the things that God's have got to help them brush aside the knocks of life so they can get on with what God's got for them. So let's come back to the passage. Let's look at some hints and some tips. Some very practical and specific things that we can get hold of to help us encourage one another. In verse 24, it says, let us consider. This word is really helpful for me. This is very, very helpful and very practical. It's just one word, consider. And unfortunately for you guys, by virtue of listening to this message this morning, you are not suddenly going to be transformed into the most amazing encourager that ever existed. And should you compete in the Olympics in the encouragement track race, you would would win it. That doesn't happen that way. There is some effort. And this is the effort that is involved, I think. It's the word consider. And there are two implications in that word. The first one is that you take a step back. You think, you ponder, and you pray about who and how you can encourage. Yes, encouragement can happen spontaneously. That's fine. But there is something here that suggests there is a considering, a pondering, a stepping back, a thinking that's involved. So with, with Joe and with Graham and Fiona, that wasn't a, let's do it now. That was a, beforehand, I thought, and I prayed about that. Beforehand, I thought, well, what, what should I say? How can I say it? What's the best way to say it? How can I encourage these guys? The other implication of the word consider is that we have to take our eyes off ourselves. You see, I think the greatest hindrance to encouragement is selfishness. The greatest hindrance to us encouraging one another is our obsession with ourselves. It's thinking about ourselves and putting ourselves first. You see, the selfish man, the selfish person, looks to get and not to give. And encouragement primarily is about giving. It's about effort. If you go to core group, if you go to your midweek group, primarily thinking about what you can get out of it, I can be fairly confident that you won't be encouraging. I can be fairly confident you won't be encouraging. If you go beforehand, having considered, having prayed, thinking of others, I can be fairly confident that you will be encouraging. And I don't know about you, I know which category I'd rather identify with. And again, let me talk about preaching again, because these guys, particularly Arnold, Mark, And Dan, and Adrian as well, they serve us regularly on a Sunday morning. And just in case you didn't realize, they don't just rock up and preach out a wicked sermon. That's not what they do. They spend hours of their week preparing diligently, looking at the word of God, so they can come here and bring the effective preaching of the word for you guys to encourage you. They consider what they have to say. Don't hear what I'm, not, what I'm not saying here, okay? I'm not asking you to preach at core group every week, 
Okay, that's not the point of the illustration here. The point is, they consider it, therefore they're more encouraging. If we all considered it and prepared a preach for a core group, it wouldn't actually be that encouraging because we'd end up with 10 different preachers on a Wednesday night. You get my drift. But the point is, let us consider. Let us think. Let us step back. Let us ponder. Let us consider others. Another phrase used here is, spur one another on towards love and good deeds in verse 24. Spur on is also translated in other versions as stir up, or stimulate, or provoke. And that's part of what encouragement is. It's, like, it's a, bit, a bit stirring up, a bit of stimulating, a bit of provoking. But this isn't just for the sake of stirring up, because that has another name. That's called stirring up, which is a bit more negative. Okay? There is purpose in it, and that's to spur us on towards love and good deeds. And this reinforces the point I made before about... Encouragement leading to movement or change. So when we spur one another on, it's towards movement and change. It's towards love and good deeds. Encouragement doesn't necessarily make us feel better. It should make us love better and do better. You hear that? Encouragement doesn't necessarily make us feel better. But it should make us love better and do better. So if we spur one another on into love and good deeds, that's the result. Not necessarily feeling better about ourselves, but we might do. Joe might feel better about himself now, and Fiona might feel better about ourselves. But that's not the point. The point is to push people on into love and good deeds. There are two contexts in which I'm familiar with the word spurs. One is the Premier League and Tottenham Hotspurs. That's not particularly helpful this morning. The other one is a hymn I used to sing at school called When a Knight Won His Spurs. A few knowing nods there. And that is actually relevant for this morning because the spurs on a knight's heels were dug into a horse to push it on into battle or to push it on to help him go faster when jousting. But what I want us to get hold of here is that spurring on is about poking and prodding to get into the battle. We have remit here from the writer of Hebrews to poke and prod each other to spur one another on into the battle. Now, if we just poke and prod each other, if we encourage one another without any purpose, that's actually cruelty. If a, if a knight rides around the horse and just digs his heels in for the sake of it, it's cruel. Not that we have knights, particularly these days, but... You get the point. We should only encourage when we know that we're pushing people on towards love and good deeds. It's a good check for us to know whether we're doing biblical encouragement or not. Is it focused towards love and good deeds? Or is it just poking and prodding? Because remember, it's uncomfortable. Remember, it might necessarily feel nice. So we must be clear that this is going to help these guys get hold of the will of God, avoid sin, to get hold of loving better or to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Another very simple, almost imbecilic, helpful hint here from the Word of God. Meet together. That's what it says. Meet together. Apparently, the current the situation with the Hebrews is that they'd stop meeting together. And the writer's saying, no, what are you doing? Why are you meeting together? Don't give up the habit of meeting together. 
But what he actually does is he actually he kind of makes them the opposite extremes. He says, he says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But now this is the alternative to not meeting together: is let us encourage one another. So by not meeting together, the opposite is, is encouraging one another. But we can only do that if we meet together. Of course, there's an assumption here that as we meet together, we'll be encouraged. And hopefully, we are when we meet together. Hopefully, we are. And hopefully, this morning, we'll be more encouraged. The, there is a, there's a situation that occurs with discouragement, which I find fascinating. And this passage kind of brings it to light. What's your reaction when you get discouraged? And by discouraged, I don't mean, oh no, Sky Plus is not working. Oh no, my internet connection's down. Oh no, he's left the toilet seat again. That's not discouragement, that's frustration, that's different. Discouragement means I really can't be bothered with life today. Discouragement means I know God's got that for me, but I just can't go for it. Discouragement means not wanting to go after what God's got for us. Discouragement means life is hard. What's your reaction? What's our natural reaction when life gets hard, when, when things get in the way, when obstacles happen? I think generally speaking, I know it's true for myself, that I don't actually want to meet with people, particularly the people of God. I, don't know, I find that quite strange. But in some senses, we shouldn't find it strange because it's, because it's the devious tactic of the enemy. The passage here says, we've got to meet together to encourage one another. I'm discouraged, I'm not going to meet together, I'm going to go in the opposite direction. I can't receive that encouragement. It's really obvious when you start talking about it like this, what happens is that I'm discouraged, so I'm not going to meet with the people of God. But the thing I most need when I'm discouraged is to meet with the people of God. That's the thing I most need. It's a devious tactic and we need to be aware of it so that we can counteract to it and choose to do what the Bible says rather than what our hearts or minds choose. So that we can actually get on with what God's got us to do. So I'm feeling discouraged today. I'm feeling out of it today. I'm not actually feeling discouraged now, sorry. This is an example. I'm feeling discouraged and out of it. What am I going to do? Well, I don't want to meet with the people of God. But I'm going to do it anyway. Because I know it's good for me. Because I know I'll get encouraged. I know I'll get hold of more of God. And I know I can pursue better if I meet with the people of God. That's what the writer to the Hebrews is saying here. So if you want to encourage... If you want to be encouraged, meet with the people of God. Meet together. Okay, I want to make it personal now. This is my chance to make it uncomfortable for you guys. This is my chance to encourage you, perhaps, in a biblical sense. The temptation here, and the temptation throughout the whole of the time I've been talking, is probably to go, oh yeah, I know some guys who could do with some... Some, um, some guidance on how to encourage. I know some people who know that they're not very just encouraging at all, and we need to have some words with them. Let's avoid that temptation. I want us to apply this to ourselves, okay? Not, don't think about anyone else. Just think about yourself now. I want to ask some questions to help you get hold of this and to really challenge yourselves and to re- help me encourage you guys to get hold of what God's got for us this morning. Let's hit it right on the head. Are people encouraged when they meet with you? Are people encouraged when they meet with you? Are they spurred on towards love and good deeds? Do you turn up at your midweek group expecting to be served rather than to serve others with encouragement? Honestly. 
Was your focus, is it yourself or is it other people? Do you ever spend time specifically considering others and how you can encourage them? If the answer is no, I think you're in good company. Don't worry. When you get discouraged, how do you handle that? How can you handle it better in the future? And here's one specifically for core group leaders. Are people encouraged when they come to your group? If not, why not? Sounds like an essay title, doesn't it? I I don't want any essays, just in case you're wondering. Um, But seriously, when people turn at your group, are they encouraged? And if not, why not? What can you do about that? I've chosen to focus today on our role in encouragement, but it would be inappropriate of me not to mention the role of God in us. It would be inappropriate for me not to mention the Lord of all, the great encourager in this mix. So let's just turn to Romans 15.5 for a second. Romans 15.5 says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ. God is the great encourager. He gives us encouragement. He helps us avoid sin. He helps us pursue his will. He makes things uncomfortable for us sometimes. He pushes us on into the battle. He spurs us on towards love and good deeds. Let's not miss that point. And our primary encouragement, we have to look to God. If we look to others, at that point in time, they may fail us. They may not be there. We may not have a chance to meet with the people of God. So we must found ourselves in our Savior. We must give ourselves to our God and look to him for our primary encouragement. Look to the word of God for truth that brings light and life and encouragement. Yes, God can and hopefully will use people to encourage us. Encourage us, but ultimately we must look to him as the author and perfecter of our faith. He is our source, he is our strength and our comfort. But I'm convinced that life will increasingly demand that as a church we are more encouraging. I'm convinced of that. Hardships, setbacks and sufferings will come our way individually as families, but also as the people of God. They will come our way. We cannot avoid them. Biblical, truth-filled, Christ-centered, sin-avoiding, stirring, provoking, and comforting encouragement will help spur us on towards what God has got for us. It will help us give him what he's due. It will glorify him more effectively and it will help his purposes be worked out in ours and in future generations. Brothers, sisters, let us encourage one another. Let us spur one another on into love and good deeds. Let us keep meeting together and all the more as the day approaches.